Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is a football Friday. Yeah, here we go. And we got BYU and Utah State tonight. Then with the Utes off, you can watch whatever you want on Saturday. National games, regional games, whatever conference you want to follow. BYU fans will probably be looking at Big 12 games. Pac-12 fans will be looking at... Or Utah fans will be looking at Pac-12 games, and Utah State fans can follow the Mountain West. So everybody can do their own thing. Then we got the NFL on Sunday. I do want to say this about the NFL. There are many unknowns, and it's three games down, 14 to go. We got miles and miles to go. But I do think we can identify two playoff teams right now. The Rams are 3-0 and look really good. And the Cowboys... That division is terrible. (laughs) Now, it was terrible last year, too, but Dak Prescott was hurt, and that made the Cowboys terrible last year. They got Prescott back, and now we can argue about whether they're a B-minus or a B-plus team, and some of you hardcore Cowboy fans are like, they're an A, Uh, whatever. B-minus is going to win that division. The Cowboys are there. The only way the Rams and the Cowboys get derailed is injuries. And there's 14 games to go, so it can happen. So there are no guarantees. Nobody's clinched anything. But everything else being equal, you can see the Rams and Cowboys' path to the playoffs. If you don't believe in 3-0 Arizona, okay. Uh, A lot of people would pencil Green Bay in, and they would say Chicago is mediocre at best. Detroit is bad. Minnesota is mediocre at best. Green Bay is going to win that division. Well, you're probably right. But I think right now, let's just stick to the Rams and Cowboys. Those are the two I really believe in. The AFC West will be interesting, but the big game in the AFC West is Monday night with the Chargers and the Raiders. Chargers already beat the Chiefs on the road, so another division win would be a big deal for them. Um, But I think this is a division, a couple things in the AFC West. I don't think there's any really bad teams in the division. Everybody is at least mediocre, and probably good. Don't know that we have any very good or great teams. It's not a division that has great wins. What they have right now is they've won a lot of games they should win. I mean, Chargers and Chiefs was a division game. They had to split that. And they got a lot of games in this division they should win this year. They're playing the NFC East, which is bad. Now, the Chargers are already through two of their four games, but everybody's going to get four games against the NFC East. So that ought to pump up everybody's record. All right, we'll get to more NFL as the morning gets along. Right now, some college football. Chaz Ayu, BYU vet. This guy's been through it, and he is ready for the crowd in Logan. He met with the media, the Cougars, with a true road game for the first time this year. And, of course, last year with either no crowds or restricted crowds, they didn't really play true road games. So it's been a minute since a lot of these guys have been in a really hostile stadium, but they will definitely see that tonight. Here's Chaz Ayu with the media. Chaz, writing an article about Encore, the agency that you uh, have a deal with or through, um, what's your experience in Encore? Uh, It's been a lot of fun working with these guys. They're very creative. Um, They're just trying to find different ways that they can get us uh, building a brand. Um, So it's been pretty cool how they've been reaching out to us and giving us different opportunities. Um, whether it's like we're going to start up a Twitch thing going up pretty soon. Um, and, I mean, you see the thing that they just did with uh, Caleb Lohner down in Lake Powell. So, you know, they're just t- trying to find all these creative ways to get um, all their, their athletes money. So it's been really cool. How did you get involved with them? Did they reach out to you or just take me through that? 
Uh, yeah, just through a, a, a doctor that I would train with over the off season. Um, he kind of just introduced me to, to Brian Fagan, who kind of runs Encore. And that's kind of how our relationship started. So um, as soon as, as the NIL thing was passed and they let us start getting paid, I signed a contract with them right away. So as of right now, is Sports Illustrated your only deal or do you have others? Um, I'm with Sports Illustrated. I'm with KSO doing a, uh, a podcast, oh, a weekly right. podcast with them. Um, I'm signed with a company called Deliver, um, which is a company out here in Orem. That's, they're kind of still a startup company right now. So there's been some things that they're having to work through before I really get to actually work with them. Um, and then there's some other things that are in the works as well. Chaz, I'm just curious hearing you talk about all that. I imagine it between football and doing those things and doing, you know, the social stuff and school. How do you manage everything? Uh, I thought it would be a lot harder, but they do a pretty good job at making sure that they work around our schedules. So any company that works, that reaches out to us has to understand that, you know, football and school and, you know, our lives are going to come before that. Um, so they handle it very professionally and they make it very uh, manageable for us to, to do those deals and, you know, kind of meet the standards that they want us to, to meet. Just one more thing to add to the list, I guess, for you guys. Yeah. I, I want, <laughs> let's talk about uh, getting ready for this game. You've been on a lot of road games and, you know, Logan's a fun place to play. The, the crowd's right there on top of you, really. And what do you do to prepare personally and, and how much do you enjoy going into a hostile setting? I love it. I, I love going into the more hostile the environment, the better for me. Uh, that kind of just brings out a different competitive uh, side to me, in my opinion. Um, especially up at Utah State, their fans like to talk a lot. Their players like to talk a lot. So it's going to be a really high intensity game. And, you know, uh, I think it just brings out, you know, the more confidence and more of my swag that, that I like to put into my game. Okay, let's uh, go Sean Walker and then Norma Gonzalez. Guys, that's almost uh, almost exactly what I was going to ask you was about that crowd up there and, and how how much of a – because we asked the guys this yesterday and got kind of a mix of responses. How much of a, of a rivalry is this BYU-Utah State rivalry? And is it maybe a lot bigger for some of you guys who kind of grew up here on the Wasatch Front? Obviously, you grew up kind of watching both teams and, and even going to both games somewhat and that kind of thing. Not saying you were ever an Aggie fan or anything, but, but is it maybe a little bit more of a rivalry just – when you're in this state and kind of grow up around BYU and Utah state and, and sort of what, what this series is. Uh, you know, it's always going to be called a rivalry. I mean, we're trying to win all of our in-state games um, as well as Boise state. And so, you know, those, those are kind of the teams that, you know, are kind of pointed out by more specifically the media um, and fans, but, you know, for us, it's, it's another game, you know, it's another chance to prove to ourselves, uh, you know, who we are, another game to improve. And, you know, we, we, I think our team has a very future set mindset where we're not just, um, you know, the rivalry games aren't the only important games to us. You know, we're, we're striving for something bigger than just winning a rivalry game. So I think that our mindset right now is kind of just, um, you know, stick to our thing, focus on, on the game that's coming up and just take it day by day. Norma, go ahead. Yeah, Chad, sort of along the same lines. How would you describe, 
I mean, you already talked about it a little bit, but how would you describe USU fans? Like, can you get more specific on just like where you'd rank them in the list of like opponents, fans and whatnot? Man, I don't know if I could rank them, but I would definitely say that they're the type of crowd that you love to have on your side. Um, you know, that's a crowd that, you know, they, they love talking to the players. They love getting rowdy. Uh, I remember back in 2019 when pregame, they were doing all these different chants, man, trying to get in all of our heads. And, uh, you know, the team was talking to, it got pretty heated with the team. So, I mean, I would say for, for Utah State, I bet that's a, a fun crowd to have behind their back. And, you know, as a, an opponent, it's a fun crowd to, to quiet down. So uh, I think that's pretty much my, my mindset going into that game. Yeah, and are you guys doing anything differently during practices to prepare for this hostile crowd? Like, I know Villanova last week was practicing with leaf blowers to kind of try to simulate crowd noise. Are you guys doing anything crazy like that? Uh, no. I mean, I think playing in the Ville Edwards Stadium is a perfect prep for that. Uh, the stadium has been electric for the last three weeks in a row. So um, I think as far as crowd noise and all of that, I think we've been able to adapt and um, been able to kind of grow as a team and learning how we need to communicate and play with a, a loud environment. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, Chaz, I just wanted to ask you about your guys' play in the defensive secondary so far this year. How would you evaluate how you guys have done? Um, you know, I'm always going to be really hard on how we played as a, as a secondary. I think we've left a lot of plays on the field. Um, there's been a lot of communication errors that we had throughout the first three games. And I think this fourth game, even though it was ugly, I think our communication was, at least on the back end, was a lot better. Um, and so I'm actually really excited to see uh, this next week, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of things polished and I think we'll we'll do a lot better this week. We saw you move up into more of, I guess, a, I'd call it a hybrid linebacker role against USF. Is that something you've been working on for a while now or was that just kind of a one-time deal? Uh, you know, it was just something that I stepped into this week. Um, but this offseason, I, I prepared for, for everything. Um, I trained to play corner, safety, and linebacker. So I was working with multiple different trainers trying to get right with that. So I feel like I'm. Uh, it wasn't really too hard for me to step up and and learn that position. We got time for one more question. Um, Sean, go ahead. Chaz, I accidentally uh, remuted myself after my last one, so I apologize. But I just wanted a really quick follow up about the the. I I think you guys in Utah State play for maybe the most underrated rivalry trophy uh, in America in that wagon wheel. It's a pretty cool trophy. What, what was your first experience with that wheel? And I'm trying to get a sense from different players about how heavy that thing is. Like, could you ever uh, maybe try to lift it up by yourself or how heavy is it? I wouldn't even want to try. I mean, I remember I got a little glimpse of it. Um, last time we went up there in 2019 and that thing is heavier than it appears, man. That thing is, it's a pretty dense little, little wagon wheel. So it's heavier than people would expect. There's BYU's Chaz you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, how about a little football with Lincoln Kennedy? Pac-12 network analyst, Raider radio analyst with Brent Musburger on the broadcast here, right here on the zone. We will talk NFL and Pac-12 with him Next, stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. 
The Aggies welcome in BYU to Maverick Stadium for another chapter in their long rivalry with the Cougars. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play -play action, beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6 on 1280 AM, with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play -play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football the 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, guys, with all the initials, DJ, PK, ESPN, everything else that's going on. So how are you guys doing today? <laughs> Pretty good, LK. We're good. <laughs> there you go, see? <laughs> DJ. It, rolls, it just rolls right off. <laughs> DJ, PK, and LK together again. <laughs> All day. Here we go. That's all good. <laughs> Three and zero. Oh, how long will the dream last? Got a Monday night game coming up with the two and one Chargers. I mean, it's early to say it's a big game, but it's a division game by two teams that are off to good starts. So it's certainly interesting. Even if you want, don't want to put well, the I think big it's game gigantic. label on it. Gigantic. Well, I, I do. Game yeah. four. Monday night we game. Got, we got gigantic early in the, in the first mm. month of the season. Yeah, look, look. For the most part, guys, I will say this: that even though the Raiders are three and zero, oh, they still have a number of holes on both sides of the ball, in all facets of the ball. And they've made a, you know, a few games interesting, way more interesting than they should have been. But uh, the Chargers are a good football team. And I've, I've thought all this season um, that uh, you know, this is probably one of the more competitive, more difficult divisions in all of football. Um, so I, I, you know, I just figure that these teams are going to beat up on each other, probably take advantage of home field advantage. Uh, throughout the season. So it, it's going to be a big test for the Raiders coming into to Los Angeles and playing the Chargers. Yeah, the way I look at this from the Raider perspective, I mean, the Chargers are a challenger, but you look at somebody like Carr and Waller, I mean, they're outstanding. I mean, I think Carr yeah. is just kicking butt. But in that division, you know, we think of Mahomes and Kelsey, two, right. two players at those positions. So here's a chance on national television, literally no other games going on, as we know, that they can really show the world, hey, this, particularly these two guys, we're just as good, if not better, because it seems like there's a little crack going on with the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm one of those guys, because I lived through it, that believes in the words Super Bowl hangover. I'm not, coming into the season, I didn't think the Chiefs were going to be able to make a run this year. I thought the rest of the AFC had caught up with them enough where the Chiefs might be down. Now I'm not going to say that they're going to have like a four and twelve record like I did uh, when I when I played the year after the Super Bowl. But I think that there's there's a little bit of a bigger chink in the armor, if you will. But that being aside, when it comes to the Chargers and and playing the game, you know Gruden, who's typically a conservative coach, is going to have his hands full because if he doesn't find a way to look, the, the running game's not where they want it by week four at, at any stretch of the imagination. The running game is not there. The offensive line is still a process in work, and the scheme is still a, a work in process, progress, I should say. Um, but it's, it's, it's not where they want it. So they're going to have to find a way to find other ways to control the time of possession because for what it's worth, Justin Herbert and this offensive unit for the Chargers has gotten progressively better, and they have weapons. So it's not like you want to turn the ball over to them and get into a shootout, but it might very well look like one of the old uh, Raider versus Kansas City games over the last couple of years where it is an offensive shootout. So I'm really, over the last few years, really bought in the idea that you kind of 
tiptoed around right there, you, you alluded to it, that a work in progress, that's what the NFL is. It was really on full display with the Bucks last year, who were clearly yeah. a better team in November than they were in September, and they were clearly a better team in January than they were in November. And I think this goes against what a lot of fans think. Hey, these guys are pros. They're at the height of their profession, and they go out and do it. But these teams have got to improve. Can winning football in September win later? Or even the teams that start off 3-0 and have got to be better in December and January. There was um, – I'm trying to remember which coach said it. But in my playing, my playing days, if you win in November, December, you play in January. And so there's a rhythm. Uh, Gruden was always about separating the season in quarters. This is the first quarter. The first four games is the first quarter. Depends on how you come out. Now, right now, the Raiders are sitting in a good situation, being three and zero. They've beaten three teams that had at least ten wins last year. Uh, two of them were playoff teams. They're going up against another good football team that's always played them well because they're in the division. And you know, I think there's you know no 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 definitive strike against Anthony Lynn, but his coaching staff over the last couple of years just mismanaged the Chargers in closing out games. That's one of the reasons why their record was there what it was. But with that being said, going forward, they've gotten a rhythm about themselves. They've gotten a rhythm, especially to where they are right now at two and one. This is going to be a difficult task. One, you know, because it's the Raiders and the Chargers, and they've always been historically challenging towards one another. We've always played challenging games when we played one another. Um, and, but two, you know, I think the Chargers are playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. When you turn on the TV Monday night, you're going to probably see a lot more silver and black in the stands than you are going to see blue and gold. That's to be expected. And now the Chargers, since they're a good football team, really have a point to prove that this is they, they want their spot in L.A. So they're going to be even more motivated playing. So these are the little things that come into game day actions that are going to work, you know, whether in a team's favor or against them. But it, nonetheless, it's, it's a game that you get amped for, and it's a game that should be interesting to watch. So you've already said you thought there'd be a little bit of hangover for the Chiefs, and they're sitting there at one and two. Broncos are three and zero. Then, with that in mind, and we know the Raiders are three and zero. Who do you list as the favorite in the division? I'm one of these guys that prove that that wants to say that you don't know what you can do until you prove it and go out there and play against somebody. Um, with that being said, I've come into the season saying that. The, the Broncos were eventually figured out. Now, I know they didn't play teams that, that had winning records last year, so it's really kind of a stretch to see how good their 3-0 and is. But I do believe that the Chargers were a good team since they found Justin Herbert and all the offensive weapons and what they had on defense even before they found Justin Herbert. And I thought the Raiders were going to be competitive. So when you talk about standout and divisions, the Chiefs are going to be competitive. There's no way that you can discount a good quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and that offense and what they've done. They just have another a, a number of other other distractions. With that being said, when it comes down to playoff time, I don't expect the Chiefs to win the playoffs. I mean, to to be in the playoffs, I expect them to probably be knocking on the door for a wild card. But in the in the interim, the rest of the teams in this division are going to beat up on each other. And I really don't know. I think you know this weekend coming in with the Raiders and the Chargers is going to be a telltale sign of who's probably going to take the initial step. To, to, to maybe uh, govern the division, but right now it's really too early to tell. 
Are there uh, any of the teams at uh, two and one that really jump out at you? We're not talking about them because they're undefeated, but hey, th- these are pretty good football teams. They lost an early game, so what? I got them circled. They're going to be really good by the end of the year. No, you know what? In all honesty, guys, because my my work with college football as well yeah. as with the Raiders, I haven't really been able to just sit down and watch a lot of football games. So there's there's a lot to be missed within the first month of the season, and especially when you come out of preseason. You know what the Raiders did in preseason? I, I thought was just it was just wrong, um, not playing a lot of their starters and it taking a little bit of a rough start. Now they're fortunate to be three and zero. There's no doubt about it, because this team, in my opinion, the Raiders still have a lot of flaws that can be exploited. And once it comes across a good football team, they probably will be exploited. Um, I think they were very fortunate to face. The, the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Dolphins, who have all had offensive line issues and really had issues at the quarterback position and protecting the quarterback. And, and, you know, the Ravens, without their star running backs and stuff like that, really had to depend on other things or other people uh, coming out the gate, Lamar Jackson. And, and they were fortunate enough to win, as well as in Pittsburgh, as well as last week uh, against, you know, the, the Dolphins, uh, because they made that game far more interesting than they had. But... Um, I still think this team has a lot of flaws. And, and as I said a moment ago, it's going to be, it, it, there's going to come a good team, and it might be the balance attack for this team that they're facing this, this Monday night that's going to exploit those flaws and really challenge this team to really step up in many other ways than it hadn't expected yet. There's a number of teams in the league that are 0-3, and I can safely say I feel confident in saying those teams suck, and they'll, <laughs> they'll continue to suck. Right, so I got that at zero and three, but I'm really intrigued by teams that are three and zero, right? Because I don't know that I can say, well, those teams are going to be great. The Raiders yeah. being the one, Broncos both in the yeah. same division. You got in the in the uh, across the board in the NFC West. The the Rams I think are going to be good. The Cardinals right. are three and zero, but I'm not sure. So it's kind of funny in that. Why if you're if you're zero and three, I know you suck. But if you're three and zero, I don't know if you're really good yet. Is that fair? Uh, very fair, very fair. Because you really don't know what to. You know, here's the thing: when you look at somebody like the Broncos, you have to take in consideration that they're playing basically a last place schedule. Yeah. I mean, they're 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 taking on teams. You know, I think it's the Giants, the Jaguars, and who was the other one? But they didn't have you know had a combined limited number of wins over the last couple of years. So you, you take that in consideration, okay? It is what it is, but still the fact that they're 3-0. I've said all along the Broncos were eventually going to figure it out. They're going to get a piece at quarterback, and they've been dipping and dabbing with Aaron Rodgers and other things, but Teddy Bridgewater has been solid for them. They have weapons on offense. We know about it. They've been a quarterback away of being competitive, and now because of their schedule, they are competitive, and they're up in the upper upper ranks. I don't necessarily think they're as good as their record says, but it is what it is. You have to deal with it when you have to deal with it. And the Raiders have to cross that path when they do, playing them twice this season. Um, as far as other teams go in the National Football League, it's look, the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did something that no other team has done, especially after winning a Super Bowl. They brought their entire team back, the same team back. They got hot because of their defense in the latter part of the last year. And I'm still convinced, as much people want to anoint Tom Brady uh, in, this, in this episode, that the fact that you know he threw three interceptions in an NFC championship game, they shouldn't have won that football game. 
They, they, they should not have won that football game. It's, when you lose a turnover battle, you're not supposed to win games statistically. But because of their defense, they were that much better. With that being said, going forward, they still are a strong team. And I think the NFC is competitive. I think that you saw that with the Rams because the moment the Rams got Matthew Stafford, I mean, I put $100 down on 32-1 to 1 odds that they would be in the NFC Championship. I said they're going to win the Super Bowl. I said they're going to be in the NFC Championship. So they're on the way, and my bet is still good. Um, <laughs> but, but for the most part, you know, it's still up in the air because there have been so many intangibles due to preseason, due to post-COVID uh, from last year, so many intangibles with so many teams that it's still a long season. And promise, I'll promise you guys this, with that 17th game, that's going to have a lot of coaches being try to be creative and smart in how to defend some of their players midway through the season. And you might get people who are sitting down and resting just because they, they, they want to try to protect them for the end of the season. You know, in the Pac-12, uh, the Pac-12 South is not good, but it mm. might end up being entertaining because right. there aren't any dominant teams. And if everybody's, you know, getting a B and nobody's getting an A, then... Well, it's entertaining. There's six games with these four teams head-to-head. It seems like four teams can all make a case. Hey, we might be the team that does it. Why not us? Arizona and Colorado can't make that case, but everybody else has a chance to make a case. With that said, UCLA and Arizona State have the first of those six head-to-head matchups. Do you like either team one more than another? Is this the kind of thing you watch just because, man, I don't know what's going to happen in this game? UCLA. I think UCLA is the team to beat in the South. Now, I think they're, you know, looking at them and watching film on them. They've got some pieces in place. They've made some minor mistakes along the way, but things that can be coachable. I think UCLA is is the one who's going to take the South. Do you think that if they got behind, they'd be able to play catch up a little bit? Because it seems like they're more of a running team. They've had a couple of good runners. Yeah. But I'm not sure that DTR, if you could just say, boys, get on my back, I'm going to take you home. Yeah, I mean, I think that is it's a great point. I, I, and I do think there's some validity to that point. Um, it's, but, you know, the thing is, is that overall in the South, I don't see offensive firepower that's going to be able to step it up on a consistent basis to stretch them and really put the panic, push the panic button for them. Uh, DTR is not going to be able to lead them back. I, I think the running game is going to be balanced enough to, to, to keep teams, opposing teams on their heels. Okay. Obviously, the Utes have had to deal with the ultimate tragedy here, losing two t- yeah, teammates dying yeah. within a year. I mean, it's just awful. It's just yeah. it's brutal. I, I'm curious if you went through anything like that in your career, if there's anything you can draw, if you've had that experience, anything you can explain, or uh, like the rest of us, you just you shake your head and you feel awful. No, you shake your head. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is sad. I do believe there's way too much violence in this world. Um, but I also know that, you know, Back in my day, we were never told to stay clear of parties or don't hang out and have good times. It just wasn't a senseless meaning to life and death. I mean, you, you, you have a blatant disrespect for life in the world today, and, and it's sad. And it really, as a parent to three children who are teenagers right now and looking to go to college, you know, I don't, I don't know where to put them at because, let's face it, you know, when parents meet with coaches about potential scholarships for them to go on and try to better themselves, the mindset is that I'm turning my child over to you. I want you to protect them. I want you to, to nourish them. I want them to grow under your tutelage. 
you don't ever expect that you're turning over your child and you're never going to see him again. And and unfortunately, this is the world that we live in. And so it's hard. You know, my heart and my sentiment goes out to the family, obviously, as well as to the Utah program. I mean, the, the, the tragedies that they have, they've been before, they faced with them uh, over the past year is just senseless and unimaginable in many respects. Um, so it, it really is a, a tragedy in its own. Lincoln Kennedy, our Pac-12 and NFL analyst calling Raider games. He's with us every week. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Greg Rubel is not with us every week. But PK's got a loaded question for Greg. He's answered it before. Will he answer it now? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. Kalani Sataki and BYU take their undefeated record to Logan for a showdown against the Aggies. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with a Cougar preview show. Friday at 6 on 97.5 FM with the post-game show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time to bring in Greg Rubel, longtime radio voice of the BYU Cougars. BYU at Utah State tonight from the Big 12 to basketball to tonight's game, to the rest of this schedule, and where are the Cougars headed this year, and what are the big hurdles? Here's Greg Rubel talking Cougar football with PK and I. He joined us late in yesterday's show. Might be some tomorrow night references, but Greg knows the game is tonight. Here's Greg with PK and I. Greg, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so he's going with Rush because it's a Canadian, but I, I would think Rubes would like maybe Neil Young, Drake, or Ann Murray. Bring them all on. <laughs> that's that. That's the start of a great playlist right there, PK. Just max out on Canadians, huh? But the star, but but the song you brought me in with, you know, speaks to all of us, right? Because it's the spirit of radio, and we all believe in that. We uh, do on the first and fifteenth. I especially do. <laughs> <laughs> I just get paid once a month. BYU is four and zero. They are nationally ranked. The number one reason for this great start in your mind is good football, good complimentary football. I mean, they're taking care of it. They're not giving it away. Uh, they're scoring when they get the opportunity, uh, especially the last game. Um, defense has been really solid. Um, they're they're finding a way to be resilient. They've faced adversity in every game. Team comes back a little bit. And then BYU uh, does what it has to do to, to cl- kind of close things out. It's been good football. It's just been really solid. I, 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 you know, you, you could take a look at different areas and say they could be better here or there. But I really do feel when it comes to that phrase of complimentary football, um, every side is doing what's, what, what's, you know, what it's taken to, to win four games at this juncture. How much credit do you think in this circumstance goes to the consistency and the quality of the coaching staff? Well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm so impressed with, with the way A-Rod's called the first four games, and not that anybody should be surprised by it. He was, you know, deeply involved in play calling prior to his current assignment. But I just love the way he's kind of game by game, you know, brought this team along and brought them through. And, and you know, his mantra is, 
don't do the things that get you beat. And, and that's what BYU has been done, you know, doing a good job of. You know, uh, you know, very few ill-timed penalties, uh, very few giveaways, the kinds of things that kind of wreck your opportunity to play consistent football. His, aggr- his mindset is aggressive um, in particular parts of the field, but he's not reckless. Uh, he's done you know, the, the, the things that have brought Jaron Hall along. Uh, he's had to make a quarterback shift, a uh, quarterback sh- uh, switch three games in. And, and, and got similar uh, results than he had with, with, with the other guys. So I, I just think A-Rod's been tremendous at how this season has started. Um, you know, Coach Tuiaki and Coach Sitake now uh, have worked on their defense together now into a sixth season, and I think you see how they like to play the game, and, and they're dealing with some adversity right now in terms of personnel, finding a way to kind of grind through it. And, and there's a lot to be said for the continuity in the staff. And, and other staffs have brought it up when talking about BYU, that even though A-Rod's quote-unquote the new OC, he's really not that new. And, and everything else that they've brought, you know, is most of, you know, coaches back from last year. Uh, the additions of Coach Funk and Coach Clune have already seemed to pay some dividends. Uh, I think the coaching staff is a big, big part of it, PK. So as BYU prepares for Utah State – Obviously, a lot of guys leave the previous game injured, um, mm-hmm. and there's a you know whole wide range of what is possible, who could be missing, who could be back, and in my mind, some of them are not a big deal because I think the next guy up has already shown that he can play at a pretty high level. In my mind, I have zero idea how high level some of the other backups can play at, so as not to load the question and bias it too much, PK's been calling me out on that. I'm curious uh, where you've got more confidence and where you've got less confidence. Well, I think the Keenan Peely loss is you know, almost irreplaceable. Um, it's, you know, things were moving along pretty well, and so much talk about the, you know, at that time, you know, 2-0, 3-0, and, uh, but, but losing Keenan Peely, there's no one really like him. Um, you know, it's, it's like Utah State losing you know, Justin Rice or Utah losing a Devin Lloyd. It's, it's, it's that kind of importance. Um, you just don't have someone like him. Uh, you can sh- shuffle some pieces around, but that's a that that's a loss BYU is going to feel you know the whole season, and and it's 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 an ex-band mentality. But he was a pretty special man. You lost, and, and so now it's you you do drop down a notch, and and you have to find a way to make do. Um, I, I think guys, if you look if you look at from the from the season opener against Arizona, to what BYU might put on the field or, or did put on the field, let's say against South Florida. I think there were four guys on defense in the same spot. And that's just four weeks in. So football has been and is a brutal sport, and the war of attrition is, is raging at BYU right now. And they're, they're 4-0 despite hardships and despite adversity. That defense has been banged up and is showing up in a lot of different places on the field. Uh, like I said, more than half the defense looks different from game one to game four in that starting eleven. We saw when the Devils came in and after they left, they were talking about the crowd and all that and may have contributed to some of their penalties, although they you know they had 10 against SUU at home, so I don't necessarily buy that. I think it's a lack of discipline that has plagued the program for many years. But nevertheless, they spoke of that, and where I'm going with this is this is BYU's first true road game because we were there, I was there in, in Vegas, and obviously that was on the road. It wasn't at home anyway, but the crowd was by and large for the Cougars for sure. Now they're not going to have the same level of uh, attendance 
at the Maverick Stadium, but it's it's going to be raucous and all. Do you you put any stock into BYU being in this environment for the first time and may cause issue? Well, they're prepping so that it won't be, but back to what you said about BYU's environment, um, you know, it clearly had an impact in one particular series uh, for Arizona State. And, and 10 penalties to 16 penalties is still a pretty decent jump. And, and that jump can be found in the number of false starts Arizona State had in the rock section end of the stadium, I think, that night. So, so it, it had an impact on that night. South Florida, I really credit for not having it or not letting it be uh, much of an impact. Now, the crowd wasn't the same. Uh, there were fewer people, and the energy wasn't quite as amped up. But I really applaud Timmy McLean and, and USF for, for playing a pretty clean game that way because it was still loud enough, and, and USF did a nice job of, of not having it be an issue. If you go back at it, uh, DJ and PK, this is the first truly hostile crowd BYU's faced since their last trip to Logan. I mean, none of the road games since that game two years ago at Maverick could be considered hostile. Uh, you know, they played at Coastal when there were 5,000 fans during the COVID year. Um, that same year in 2019, they played San Diego State, but, you know, nobody really shows up or had been showing up um, there. This is the, the first. You've got to go two years to find an environment that makes you work to keep your focus. And, and so BYU's offense has been inside this week in the IPF. Um, the big speaker's out blasting it and like you know A-Rod told me Monday yeah you get annoyed by it your ears are ringing after 90 minutes but it's something you have to do uh, because we haven't seen it in a while we're going to see it on Friday night the BYU bench has been moved from the west side to the east side which puts the the Cougars in front of the student section Um, so these little distractions that come up BYU's trying to prep to uh, you know kind of uh, withstand the impact of them on Friday night. Greg Rubel joining us, BYU play-by-play voice. I'm curious, uh, as you kind of look at scores, you maybe get to see some of the games, depending on kickoff times and all that, with two-thirds of the schedule in front of you, who are the big tests for BYU, and who do you think they can sail through pretty easily? Well, you know, Utah State, Boise State, is, is, is that, that's a tough little back-to-backer right there. Um, this week in Logan and next week in Provo. Um, so, so the Mountain West phase right there is is pretty stout, and and then BYU's not had you know out of state trips beyond the neutral field at, at at in Las Vegas to open the season, and and the back half of the schedule is road heavy. So in their final six games, they have five FBS games, and of the five FBS games, four are on the road. So in a lot of ways, you know the heavy lifting is still to come for BYU um, at Baylor. And, and, and Baylor's nationally ranked right now. They gave themselves a nice ramp-up schedule, but beating, Arizona, beating Iowa State's legit. They did the right thing by easing themselves in, then they kind of unleashed it a bit. Kind of had to hang on, but that's a good win. Um, so you got the Mountain West games back-to-back. Then you go Baylor on the road, Wazoo on the road. One's clearly tougher than the other. And then you get the Bronco game, and that's got its own set of subplots and storylines and motivations Idaho State, we kind of skip past, and then you go Georgia Southern, USC on the road back-to-back to end the year. So, you know, the ones you're going to get are Idaho State. The one you really expect to get is Georgia Southern. They've made a coaching change, and Wazoo's kind of in the same boat. So those Mountain West games, the Baylor-Virginia game, and the USC game, those are five tough, tough games to win. So 4-0 is great, but like I said, this is, the, this is a tough sledding schedule for BYU with a lot still to come. So this is cool this year. They've got the Broncos and Bronco. I like that. The Bronco game. 
Bronco squared. <laughs> uh, do you think that Utah State can exploit any of the same stuff that South Florida did in the second half? Well, I, I was really – I thought Utah State didn't get the – I mean, the, the, the 27-3 score will be among the more misleading scores in football this year, I thought. I, 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 as I watched and listened to that game on, on Saturday – you know, I, I just thought, man, alive, Utah State should be going to the halftime locker room thinking, how are we not leading this game? You know, they, they, they did so many good things, and then they did the kinds of things that BYU's managed to avoid for the most part to this point in the season. Now, BYU did have a blocked field goal uh, last week that kept them out of the red zone. In fact, the only time they've not scored in the red zone this year, guys, was that blocked field goal, field goal against USF. But Utah State certainly didn't get enough bang for its buck last week. That was a winnable game, and 27-3 says it's not winnable. But if you were there, watched, or listened, or saw how Utah State was moving the ball on Boise, you know Utah State could have expected to lead at halftime and should have expected to be in that game, if not win it, but for the mistakes they made. Um, as to what Utah State can hope to exploit, I mean, USF you know, did well, but was never really in a position to win that game. Um, they're... they're you know, A-Rod told me Monday, he said, it's kind of weird. We had a team down 22 points that wanted to bleed clock. Um, and they weren't going to have enough possessions to win the game if they kept playing that way. And that's exactly what happened. Every time BYU got the ball, BYU scored. And every time USF got the ball, they wanted to run, you know, 12 to 18 plays um, in a very piecemeal fashion. And, and that wasn't going to work for them in the end. And so in every game, you could argue BYU's been challenged, but they haven't been challenged to the point where they were in, in danger of losing the game. And so, you know, that's, that's something Utah State will have to do. Let's keep in mind, guys, BYU's not trailed yet. So even if USF or if USU were to go up 3 or 7 nothing, well, they've already put BYU in a spot they haven't been in yet this year. Right. Greg Rubel joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Have you heard anything, maybe it's too early, but have you heard anything about the impact the Big 12 announcement is having on recruiting? No, just beyond the general. Um, you know, they're going to get into maybe some geographic areas they, they weren't before. Um, they may have to uh, as a result of the conference shift. But I, I think, you know, the biggest impact will simply be if, if they were ever losing out to kids on tiebreakers being P5, that's out the window now. So if, if all things were equal with a recruit or a recruit's family, but P5 was the tipping point, well, you take that off the table and that changes a lot of things. Because you know that BYU's probably lost a handful of guys they've wanted over that one particular component. And, you know, I'm sure they were told if you, you know, if you could just give us that, it would, it would make a difference. Well, now they've got that. So I really don't think it's going to, you know, drastically expand the pool. Uh, BYU asked casts already a, a decently wide net, but they're always going to specialize in who they target. And I think when doing so, they can now do so on a, a truly equal playing field with the other big names they're competing with to land talent. Yeah, I actually think that where it would have the most positive effect, and I think this also in basketball, is in the grad transfer situation because they're going to be able to evaluate it. They're more mature, and obviously I'm talking about the non-LDS kid who maybe have more... Uh, I don't know of an issue, but be more concerned about the honor code, whereas an 18-year-old thinking of four or five years in that environment, uh, as opposed to one or two, plus they're far more mature, they've been around a little bit, they understand the situation. So I really look for BYU to feast on the transfer market, particularly with basketball, because 
the jump from the West Coast to the Big 12 in basketball is just absolutely enormous. And so I'm expecting yeah. big things. And, and actually now I want you to say, uh, let's see, bef- between now and 2025, BYU is going to make multiple Sweet 16s. Yeah, I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> a kid, Greg. Way to hold firm. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I think Mark Pope is just going to do great stuff because I think this is a major improvement for him and his access to recruiting now because this is a top-notch, without question, basketball league. Yeah, it's a game changer. He's already done great stuff. Right. You know, e- even within the confines of the WCC. Yeah. And and especially even with grad transfer talent there too, they, you know they they've already explored that market fairly well yeah. in the current confines. And so yeah, I mean he knows that you know that, that everything elevates in terms of expectation, uh, competition, uh, the, the battle for athletes. It's all going to be ramped up, and he's in for it. If there's anybody who's in for it, it's Mark Pope, right? You guys know that, right? And I think he yeah. is going to just. I really believe. He's going to do great, great stuff because I think this is this is going to open so many doors because you're not going to find a better basketball league. Yeah, and and the margin for error widens right when it comes to actual on floor competition. Um, it, it's not you know two bids or bust you know or you have to finish second to to to, to the, the the championship winning team to have a shot. Right. You can you, you can be in the mix oh, in the Big Twelve yeah, and still have a really really good basketball team and have a great shot of playing in March. Well, uh, Oklahoma was uh, sixteen and eleven, I think nine and eight last year, and they made the NCAA tournament. That right. just tells you the respect level that that conference has. They were an eight seed, so I don't want to say they're guaranteed to make the tournament, but their chances, as you say, they can finish fourth or fifth in that league and still get a six seed. Yeah, with the style of play, and you can argue, and you know, to some point, the level of talent BYU's been playing with, that would put you in the running, right? And and that's where you just need to be in the Big Twelve. I mean, yep. ideally, you're going to try and compete for championships, yep. but um, you know, BYU's already experienced, you know, some of the Big Twelve um, top of the heap uh, dynamic in in its own conference. Uh, I think Gonzaga has been a really good training ground for BYU, actually, when you think about competing in the Big Twelve. I think you're going to get your wish. I'll yeah. say it if you won't. I think Pope is going to get them to multiple Sweet 16s. What I feel bad about, Greg, is that you have just traded San Francisco for Stillwater and Malibu for Manhattan. And I froze one morning in Manhattan, Kansas because of college basketball, and I feel bad for you. No, you know, the, the, the great thing about the WCC uh, when it comes to basketball is every road trip you take is headed west. And uh, when you hit the Big 12, every road trip you take is going to be headed east, and so you're going to be um, you're going to be you know giving up the uh, the, the sandstorms for the ice storms, um, and uh, it, it's going to be a, a different deal entirely. Uh, the travel will be interesting. I'm sure there will be some stories to tell within a decade from now about getting to certain venues on certain nights, but uh, you know obviously the trade-off is is certainly worth it. Well, Stockton's been a good training ground in that regard, in the same way Gonzaga has. <laughs> nice giggle. Stockton's still pleasant enough. Greg, we appreciate a little bit of time. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the game in Logan. Really looking forward to getting back up into uh, Maverick Stadium and, and hearing some, uh, some opposing fans in the stands again. And, and uh, you know, it's funny, BYU and Utah State have played nothing but blowouts for almost a decade now. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe a close game will, will crop up one way or the other. Uh, BYU's been having these games where they 
have a nice little lead, team chips in, BYU gets it done. We'll see what kind of, uh, kind of dynamic we end up with tomorrow night. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for the time. This is Greg Rubel, longtime radio voice of the BYU Cougars. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.